0: And you're listening to... Dream Dream Infringement!
1: Our adventure begins deep within a jungle, somewhere in the world where there are jungles. Where two adventurers search for something just as mysterious as it is amazing. Dream Infringement presents Arizona Smith and the Cave of Relics Relics, Relics You sure no one was following us?
0: Oh yes, sir. Positive. There's no way anyone could have followed us. I've been covering up our tracks with banana leaves—the largest of jungle
1: leaves. Good, because the object we seek contains more power than you can imagine. If we were to fall into the wrong hands, why it would. It would-
0: Well, I hope you find what
1: you seek. I mean, most locals
0: believe in the cave of things that are mysterious and therefore remains hidden to maintain the mystery is just a myth.
1: Gary, I've been researching the cave of things that are mysterious and therefore remains hidden to maintain the mystery for months. And according to the ancient manuscripts, the cave of things that are mysterious and therefore remains hidden to maintain the mystery is in these very jungles.
0: Well, you're the expert on the cave of things that are mysterious and therefore remains hidden to maintain the mystery.
1: Let's just agree to call it the cave.
0: Arizona, look! It's the cave of things that are a mystery. I mean, it's the cave!
1: So the legends are true. Stay close, Gary. These caves are likely riddled with traps that can kill us, or at the very least make our day a real bummer. Got
0: it. You know, Arizona, I always thought all caves had bats, but I was watching this PBS documentary once,
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: I learned that I couldn't be more wrong. You see, bats are actually very picky about where they choose to make their home. Gary. And you have to take into account what kind of bat is native to the environment. Gary! Oh, sorry.
1: Keep your wits about you, man. This is no stroll through the park. Whoa, whoa, oh no,
0: Ah! Arizona, are you
3: okay?
1: I can't see you, what happened? That stone, it dropped out from under me. Now, I'm knee-deep in
0: Skippy. Skippy? You mean peanut butter?
1: That's about the long and short of it.
3: Well, can you try to climb out?
1: It's not that easy, Gary. I have... Arachabuterophobia.
0: What is that?
1: It's the fear of peanut butter getting stuck to the roof of your mouth, and then suffocating you. Oh, really? It's a lot more common than you might think. Anyways, I can't move! I'm frozen with fear.
0: Toss me your whip and I'll pull you out.
1: Okay. It had to be the Skippy. It had to be
2: the Skippy.
1: (sighs) Thanks, Gary. And can you keep that bit about the peanut butter under your hat?
0: Oh, totally, Arizona. And in light of this new development, you might want to skip lunch.
1: Why's that, Gary?
0: I made us PB&Js.
1: Gary, there it is just beyond that crop of fungi. In that cavern is the relic. Stay close, Gary.
0: Uh, Arizona, um I'm afraid I can't go any further.
1: Why? What's wrong?
0: Well, you're not the only one with an obscure phobia. I have mycophobia.
1: Fear of small things?
0: Nope, that would be microphobia. Oh. It's an honest mistake. And I have mycophobia, a fear of mushrooms oh boy. there at the entrance of that cavern is is the reason I've avoided certain salads all my life. Mushrooms...
1: Well, you know, Gary, although this comes as a surprise, I respect your mental health and would never pressure you to do something that you are uncomfortable with. I honor your limitations.
0: Thank you, Arizona. Oh, and Arizona? Yeah? Be safe out there.
1: Alright. Arizona, you've made it this far. Focus on the relic. It's all about the relic. Oh, there's an inscription. Let's see. To remove this relic from where it lies, what does a lasagna-loving feline despise? A lasagna-loving feline? What? What kind of a riddle is this? Hey Gary, are you hearing this? Yeah. What's wrong, Arizona? It's a riddle. I can't get the relic until I solve the riddle. Well, maybe I can help. Tell me the riddle. OK. It says, to remove this relic from where it lies, what does a lasagna-loving feline despise? despise despise? You got anything, Gary? Hang on, hang on.
0: Okay. to remove this relic from where it lies, what does a lasagna-loving feline despise? Despise orange feline lasagna. I got it. It's Garfield, and he hates Mondays. The answer
1: is Mondays. Well, here goes nothing. Mondays. (laughs) It worked!
2: It worked! Gary, I could kiss you! Not so fast, Arizona. I'd hold off on the celebratory smooches if I were you.
1: O'Connor! How'd you and your goons find me?
2: Banana leaves gingerly placed on a jungle path. Ha! Might as well roll out the red carpet for me.
1: What's the matter? Running out of money from selling the last relic you ripped off of me?
2: Coastal mansions and fast cars just don't cost what they used to, and one does get used to the lifestyle. The relic you have there in that sack should be worth a pretty penny. Now, don't make this difficult, Arizona. Hand over the sack and nobody gets hurt.
1: You're going to regret this, O'Connor. That relic belongs in a museum, not in some rich yuppie's white carpeted living room. Why, if it was to fall into the wrong hands, the repercussions would be catastrophic.
2: Hmm, valuable and powerful. I like that combination. Now, let's see what all the fuss is about. Wait, what? What kind of a joke is this, Arizona? <laughs>
1: What's the matter, O'Connor? Don't you know a relic when you see one?
2: Relic? This is a concert ticket stub from 2003 for the Date Matthews Band!
1: Read a dictionary much? A relic can be an object surviving from an earlier time, especially one of historical or sentimental interest.
2: What?
1: There's a millennial in Florida right now that is going to be pretty happy to see the ticket stub from her first concert. And I'm not going to let you take that from her. Now, Gary!
2: Aye, aye, Captain.
1: Have fun finding a dry cleaner that can get peanut butter out of silk.
2: Uh, I'll get you. It's Arizona!
1: Will our heroes ever get those ticket stubs to that 30-something in Florida? And if they do, are they also going to hit those famous Floridian beaches? Find out next time Bobby is compelled to write a last-minute radio drama in the adventures of Arizona Smith. Smith, Smith, Smith. That's right. The theme is relics. And by now you should already know what a relic is.
0: I feel like that, that auditory drama uh, laid it all out for us in a, in a really nice way. And we learned that not all relics have to be like a religious relic.
1: It also doesn't have to be a uh, horror movie from the mid-90s directed by <laughs> Guillermo del Toro that uh, freaked out a 10 year old Bobby.
0: Nope, that's definitely not the one we're talking about.
1: Definitely not. So don't go Googling Relic and watching that movie unless that's what you're into.
0: Yeah, do whatever you want. (laughs) But that's not what we're endorsing here.
1: Not at all. What we are endorsing is listening to this really wonderful show that we produced.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yep, it it is really wonderful. And to get things started, we're gonna play a song.
1: We should.
0: Yes, and that song is
1: That song is Save This For Never by the Generationals. Well, One day you'll break my heart in
3: truth. I have something for you a very special surprise but before i give it to you you must promise promise me that you shall keep it forever 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 small child me was hoping fervently it was my little ponies my consuming obsession as a child in my heart i was saying yes to my little ponies but instead "'handed very carefully to me, was the egg. "'I tried to fake smile as I stared at it. "'A painted egg with cranes on it, "'mounted upon a small little egg throne, "'enclosed in a case of turquoise brocade and glass. "'Like a small shrine, it was an egg, "'an obstreperous ovum, an exasperating egg, "'a calamitous clutch.' an egg I had promised to cherish forever, that in my innocence I had promised to grow old with this gaudy egg shrine as my boon companion. I dutifully set it up on my dresser. I saw it every day, and I resented it, but I was bound by honor. Every time we moved, I packed it semi-carelessly, hoping that a box would crumple just enough to destroy my eggish ball and chain. But the egg was made of stronger stuff than it looked, and it survived my passive attempts to eradicate it. My mom learned of my contempt for the egg. Sometimes she would decorate fake plastic eggs and give them to me, mocking my despair. Over a decade passed, and finally we went to move again, but we were having a yard sale. I stared at the egg. We were moving to another state. This could be my one chance to flee, knowing that it could never possibly find me again. Decisions were made that fateful day i changed from girl to woman i threw off my egg shackles i hardened my heart in weary resolve i forsook oaths i broke vows as i attached a small sticker and priced my egg with a reasonable for the love of god buy this egg price that day we monitored the incoming potential customers making sure that the family who gave me the egg did not come to the yard sale and see proof of my betrayal. We were all on high alert to hide the egg, to conceal my heinous and cold-hearted actions. The conclusion of the day saw me a free woman, a new woman, a woman unbound, egg shrine free. This song is by Tarnation, and it is called
2: Little Black Egg. I their see my little black the little white
1: Hi there, folks. This is Bobby. I was looking through some of the things that I've hung on to from my past. Objects that contain sentimental value. In preparation for this very episode about relics. And if you were doing your homework and listening very closely to the show, you'd know that a relic also is an object that contains sentimental value. And I found myself experiencing an emotion that I have not felt in any other situation but this, this situation where I'm going through my old stuff that I have chosen to hang on to, that has like this emotional attachment attached to it. And that weird, unique, obscure emotion is like this embarrassment for my past self. Because a lot of the things that I have accumulated over the years that I've chosen to hang on to are from a time when I was a teenager, a young teenager, an older teenager, and uh, even like early 20s and i find myself feeling embarrassed for that version of myself and i thought it was very funny to be embarrassed over something that you have chosen to hang on to and therefore hang on to the memory that's attached to it like why do we hang on to things that on some level embarrasses us that that maybe we don't even want to look at maybe we would even shudder at the idea that someone would see this object or this letter that we've written or saved and i think it's because bobby from many years ago teenage bobby he's in here somewhere i'm pointing at myself he's there still desiring to hang on to that letter or that concert ticket stub. And I think that's a beautiful thing. We as human beings have the capacity to remember even against our own desires to forget. We want to remember. We have to remember. And I think that's why we hang on to things because there's still a part of us from a time long ago that doesn't want to forget. I hold in my hand a piece of paper. This piece of paper is an application for employment at a certain coffee franchise. I won't give away what it is, but it's any number of coffee franchises that one might feel a sense of job security applying to when they really are in need of a steady paycheck. Now keep in mind that When I acquired this job application, I had zero experience when it came to making coffee. I still have zero experience when it comes to making coffee. And the funny thing is, it was never filled out. It's a completely blank, fresh application for employment at a coffee franchise. So why have I chosen to hang on to it? Well, therein lies the key. The reason I've hung on to it all these years is because of the memory that's attached to it. See, when I got it, it was right before I proposed to my future wife, Emily, and also future co-host on this very radio show that you're listening to right now. I got this job application because I felt deeply inside my bones that in order for me to propose to this woman that I absolutely adored and wanted to spend the rest of my life with, I needed to have a job. I didn't have a job at the time. And I felt like if I'm going to ask her father for his blessing, I was going to have to have a steady job. So this application was one of many that I picked up trying to find employment. This piece of paper represents the first day of the rest of my life. It was the beginning. It was when everything started. My first successful attempt to carve out a life for myself with my best friend. And for the record, I'm not embarrassed to have hung on to this application for employment. It shows me how far I've come. And I think that in the end, the objects that we choose to hang on to are a reminder maybe of an embarrassing time in our life, a time that we'd like to forget, but it also shows us how far we've come and i think that's a good reason to hang on to something here's nine to five by dolly pardon
2: jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping out on the streets the traffic starts jumping folks like me on the job from nine to five working nine to five what a way to make a living
3: jennifer here so i found some newspaper clippings from a few generations back which Neither side, like my mom's side or my dad's side of the family, is very close. So I don't know much about the people who make up my ancestry. And so these little clippings with their funny phrases really gave me a little bit more insight into who these people were. And I found it very kind of enjoyable. I was going to read you just a few highlights of things I found funny and heavily summarized because the papers are a lot wordier back then than they are now about these sort of social events. This is my great-great-grandparents on my mom's side and this is their wedding announcement. Mr. and Mrs. Copelk announced the engagement of their daughter, Lenora, to Carl. The bride-elect is employed at the Henry Lynn jewelry store and is very popular in Atchison. The groom-to-be is a former globe-carrier, and has made good." Then we have their wedding announcement. There was a beautiful wedding last evening. Just before the bride and groom entered the church, Mrs. Frank Mangelsdorf, accompanied on the organ by John Grundman, sang at dawning. The bride looked lovely in a dress made of rainbow crepe de chine. It was an imported dress, having been presented to the bride by a friend of the family who bought it in China. The bride was born and reared in Acheson. She is a womanly girl and has always been her mother's right hand. The groom works for the Sims Grocer Company and is a former Globe carrier to whom the Globe points with pride. I think this was a cousin of my great-great-grandfather. The marriage of Miss Mildred and Arthur was solemnized yesterday afternoon. The wedding was arranged to be a very quiet affair on account of the poor health of the bride's mother. The bride, who is an attractive young girl, wore a blue tailored suit with a lace blouse embroidered and beaded. A victory red hat completed a pretty wedding costume. The young couple have gone to housekeeping in a little home on 7th Street, which is next door to the parents of the bride. The bride is a graduate of the Atchison High School. After finishing there, she became a cashier at the Kohler Shoe Store. The groom is a clerk in the same store, ooh la la, and is a young man well thought of by his employers and about town. So on my dad's side, my great-uncle Alvin, aka Buster, was a bit of a burglar, and I found his mugshots, which say that he has a nude and glass tattoo on his left shoulder. Great-uncle Buster, I'm so disappointed in so many of your life choices. There is a divorce decree from my great-aunt stating indignities as the cause I feel like that's a euphemism for something probably a lot more scandalous. And we'll leave it at that. Um, and one of my favorite newspaper clippings that I found is it's either a great or great, great grandfather, and it is a wedding announcement. The headline reads long courtship has happy conclusion. Dr. Woodside once bellboy returns to San Francisco to claim his bride. When the new Palace Hotel opened after the fire of 1908, Dr. Woodside, then 18 years of age, went to work there as a bellboy. Shortly afterward, he met Miss Gaffney. During his year's service at the Palace, he attended a medical school while off duty and later went to an Eastern College to finish his education. Not long ago, Dr. Woodside received his degree and went to Fresno, where he has become established. Miss Gaffney has been waiting for him during the last five years, but all these were ended when Dr. Woodside came to the city yesterday to make preparations for the wedding. The couple will spend their honeymoon motoring through the southern portion of the state and will later take up their residence in Fresno so the song i'm going to play is the one attempted by mrs frank mangelsdorf at my great-grandparents wedding and this is called at dawning it is by mary garden
0: When we were discussing the theme for this week, Jennifer reminded me that I too had an interesting uh, newspaper clipping from my ancestors, I guess. (laughs) I don't know how far back someone needs to be to be an ancestor. Is it just anyone who's born before you in the family line? I'll have to look that up and get back to you. So I didn't have as many interesting funny things uh as Jennifer had when she went through her genealogy but the the one she reminded me of was the obituary that was written for my great 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 grandmother on my mom's side whose name was Esther Malaby so I'm going to read it now It says, Mrs. Esther Malaby was born February 2nd, 1831, near New Salem in Fayette County, Pennsylvania. In 1847, was married to George A. Malaby, with whom she lived a very happy and useful life. To them were born 12 children, nine of whom still survive their mother. The father has been dead 17 years. In 1845, they moved to LaSalle County, Illinois, and in 1871 they came to Sumner Sumner County, Kansas. At the age of 12, Mrs. Malaby was converted and joined the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, of which she was a member till about 21 years ago when she united with the Presbyterian Church in Oxford. Since last February, Mrs. Malaby has been quite feeble, but all through her sickness, she was so patient and kind that her bedchamber proved a blessing to all who visited it. She never complained either at people or providence. Those who administered to her wants during her illness always found her cheerful and could do nothing that did not please her. She frequently expressed her appreciation for favors rendered by her children and friends. Her death was triumphant. She so often said that Jesus could make a deathbed as soft as downy pillows, and all who knew her are conscious that, and this is in quotes, all is well. Her beautiful Christian character and words speak for themselves. She died at her home Thursday, December 5, 1895, aged 64 years, 10 months, and 3 days. The funeral was preached by the writer in the M.E. Church at 10.30 a.m. Saturday, December seventh, from Revelation 6, verse 13, after which her body was laid to rest in the Oxford Cemetery. The children who survive her have the sympathy of a large circle of friends who mourn with them in their loss. Surely we can all derive comfort from the following verse written by Francis Ridley Havergal, and this is what it says. For I know that they who are not lost but gone before are only w- waiting till I come, for death has only parted us a little while and has not severed e'en the finest strand in the eternal cable of our love. The very strain has twined it closer still, and added strength. The music of their love is no wise stilled, but blended so with songs around the throne of God that our poor ears no longer hear it. When I came across this obituary, it felt like such a gem. It was so personable and so beautifully written. I feel like it says almost as much about the writer as it does about my great-great-great-great-great-grandmother, And for someone to take the time to write this and include quotes from her and then a poem at the end, it just shows that Esther Malaby was truly a person worth writing about and the sweet connection that the writer must have had with her. And it seems that throughout history there have been religious or spiritual people that maybe talk the talk but don't really walk the walk. So I found it particularly heartwarming that Esther Malaby was the kind of person that did both. To be so encouraging and kind to people while she was quite literally on her deathbed seems so exceptional. I don't know that that kind of personality trait is passed down through generations, but it's a quality that I admire, and I hope I can be a little bit like my great-great-great-great-great-grandmother Esther Malaby. So this is a song by the Decembrists. It's called July July, and I chose it because it's about telling family stories and how those stories change over time.
2: And we'll remember this when we are old and ancient, though the specifics might be vague. And I'll say your camisol was brightly spite of the when in fact it wasn't happy bluish-gray.
1: Relics are so subjective.
0: Yeah, they are, aren't they? Um, so we decidedly did not talk about religious relics.
1: Yeah, because I hate them. No. Just kidding.
0: That's not why. Um, it just didn't seem as fun, I guess.
1: Well, and I don't have any religious relics lying around the house. Do you, Emily?
0: I don't- not that I'm aware of. Um, so if- religiously speaking, relics are the mortal remains of a saint, um, and then in a broad sense, it includes any object that has been in contact with the saint. So, I read an article that talked about how they felt as though pop culture relics, artifacts- from past pop culture moments moments, um, are like the new religious relics of our day I believe it and that could be anything from the outfit that Batman wore
1: to the cardigan that Kurt Cobain wore on MTV Unplugged
0: yeah let's hear about that
1: well I'm glad that you said that, Emily, because I have been doing my research, and apparently, the very cardigan that Kurt Cobain wore on MTV's Unplugged went for three hundred and thirty-four thousand dollars. Okay, he wore this in two in nineteen ninety-three, and it was sold in two thousand nineteen. So, like, nearly three decades later. It smells it's it's stained cigarette burned and unwashed. And a man? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a man nice
0: and stinky.
1: <laughs> it has that like rock and roll stink on it. I
0: mean, is it a relic if it isn't it's like a little musty and a little pungent?
1: Yeah, and and there was a guy who who wanted to buy it because he was like a diehard Kurt Cobain fan. And I think that that pursuit is something that's very pure. Yeah. Almost like, you know, Indiana Jones chasing after the, uh, what is that thing that he was looking for in that movie?
0: The um, Ark of the Covenant? That's
1: what it is. Is
0: that what it was? Yeah,
1: another religious relic.
0: (laughs) I mean, those are usually the ones people talk about.
1: I mean, those are the big ones. They're the big ones. Those are like the, the that's like the Oprah of... Religious relics.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's huge.
1: Yeah, and like I said at the beginning of this little piece of banter that we are doing, uh, it's subjective. Because really, a relic only means as much as what it means to the person that wants it.
0: That's true. And us as a society, we have dictated what belongs in pop culture relicdom, like Kurt Cobain's sweater. And obviously, somebody would pay that price. And so that's why it went for that much
1: money. Exactly. It's something that people want to pursue um, and dedicate their lives to. I mean, imagine in Indiana Jones... What's, what is that first movie with the, the Ark of the Covenant? The lost, What's it called? And the
0: Lost Ark?
1: And the Lost Ark.
0: Is that the first one?
1: I think so. Is that the third one? Oh, no. Oh, no. I
0: get confused.
1: Oh, all you Indiana Jones heads. <laughs>
0: yeah, you Jonesies. You're just
1: screaming at the radio right now. Anyways, imagine in his pursuit for this like religious artifact that was lost to time, if he would just all of a sudden didn't care anymore. And the Nazis that were chasing after him decided they didn't care anymore either.
0: Was it the... No, no, no. Okay. It was That Nazis. was different. That was a different one. That was like a goblet or something.
1: Oh, no. Oh, was it was... Sean
0: Connery. Was it
1: supposed to be the cup that Jesus drank wine I
0: out of? Cannot I cannot remember.
1: Okay. We need to watch... <laughs> we need to watch that trilogy over again. And we will. We promise Anyways, imagine if everyone who is pursuing these valuable objects, if they just gave up. What kind of a movie would that be? There's kind of a sense of theatrics when it comes to pursuing something that is meaningful to you.
0: Yeah, and right now I am pursuing finding out what the most expensive relics in the world are. Alright, would you like... Or have we moved on from pop culture?
1: Yes, let's pl- into
0: just like straight up cash.
1: Yeah, let's let's go to the cold hard cash, Emily. Okay,
0: so one of them is a this silver cistern.
1: Oh my word! This is the most beautiful, shiniest thing I've ever seen.
0: It looks big and shiny.
1: It looks like a very gaudy, very majestic looking punch bowl.
0: Yes, it does, and. It was sold for $3.8 million. No kidding. Indeed it was. It was made specifically for an official from Berlin, Thomas Wentworth. So that's That's expensive. (laughs) Oh, here's another picture of it from the side. Another angle. angle. Oh, underneath. Oh, it's got like guard dogs chained.
1: Together. And the actual bowl itself is resting upon their backs.
0: And I think the handles are ladies oh one is a lady and one looks like a man wow wow yep that is that's expensive okay here's another one the giuseppe violin alexander ii used to have in his palace a violin called the giuseppe guarneri that after his death was sold for 3.9 million dollars holy cow that's one expensive violin
1: so maybe it's like, it's it's who we originally it. possessed it, mm-hmm. how old it is, and what it's made out of. I guess it doesn't always have to do with what it's made out of.
0: I don't think so. Yeah, because,
1: because actually, um, you know, considering what I just said, <laughs> there was an object that was pulled up by a plow in a field... That was used to prop open an office door, and it was identified by an archaeologist as an extremely rare, valuable Bronze Age ceremonial dagger. It was. Wow. It was originally called. It was called a dirk. Um, it was. It's one of only six found in all of Europe. Um, and so it was used as a doorstop for a really long time. And this thing was like is very. It's like 3,500 years old. Wow yeah, so so I don't know. it might not matter what it's made out of.
0: I don't think it does. I'm seeing like all kinds of things on this list of the most expensive relics, from like gems and necklaces to cars to paintings, yeah, um, I think it probably has to be old,
1: oh yeah, and it's-
0: in good condition
1: it does yeah yeah it definitely in the condition that it was originally when it was owned yeah so like kurt cobain's sweater i mean he he did lord knows what in it <laughs> and now it's being sold you know for like thousands upon thousands of dollars yeah so so hundreds maybe of thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars. So take a moment, dig through your closets, look under your doors, maybe that very thing that you're holding your, you know, that's propping your door open right now, Mm -hmm. maybe that's from the Ming Dynasty.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Check it out, take it to Antiques Roadshow, you never know, have that really cool looking dapper gentleman, figure out how much it's worth.
0: Yeah. It's worth it. This this entire show was just to promote
1: (laughs) Antiques Antiques
0: Roadshow. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't know it going into the this it but yeah. But now we know what the real theme
1: is. <laughs> that's usually how these shows go. There's a secret theme and by the end when Emily and I and Jennifer are tired, we've stumbled onto, you know, the heart of the show. That's right. And that's what it is. PBS <laughs> series where uh, very knowledgeable antique dealers. They figure out if your junk is not junk. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, (laughs) Antiques Roadshow. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and we hope you learned something not just about us, not just about history and the world at large, but a little bit about yourself. Because really, the most valuable relic lies within and I'm pointing at you
0: (laughs) you were pointing at your heart first
1: (laughs) I I mean I pointed at my heart but I really and then I pointed pointed it at them because it lies within them it's their hearts
0: gotcha well guys and everyone (laughs) I know people don't like to just lump everyone in with guys anymore not everyone is a guy yeah Uh, You know what I mean. It's getting late. Yes. Saying things and it's time for us to go.
1: Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, you you should stay tuned because there's a really special show by the name of High Tech Soul. And it's hosted by a wonderful guy named Leo. And I also want to say thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to everyone who listens every week. We want to send a shout out to our good friend and friend of the show, Miriam. Hi Miriam. And thank you to our 7-year-old son who played the bad guy in our little radio drama, O'Connor, and Bobby's
0: 30-something-year-old sister, Odessa,
1: who played the narrator, which you heard at the beginning and the end of the radio drama.
0: And to Connie, for uploading our show every week you're an angel connie
1: what an angel so to play you out we leave you with a final song by a band called bare naked ladies this song i feel pays homage to our wonderful theme relics this is called shoebox by bare naked ladies bye adios it's under
2: my bed it's never been read it's in with my school stuff and my mom never cleans that from my first little fifth, when I still wore a fifth To my latest attempt at pretending I'm someone who's not seventeen and doesn't